This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. I want to read from Matthew 21, verse 23 there on the back. Matthew 21, verse 23. Matthew says of Christ, And when He was come into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto Him as He was teaching, and said, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I and likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did you not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. As we begin this new congregation, this first service, I wanted to speak on authority in religion. I think that's as appropriate a subject as we can select today. Authority in religion. Authority is simply defined as legal or rightful power, dominion, the right to rule or to command. Let me repeat that definition. Authority is legal or rightful power. It is dominion. It's the right to rule or to command. And I suppose all of us could agree that in every realm of our life, every part of society, authority and the respect for authority is very important. Whether it's in our homes or in our schools, in our community governments, city governments, county governments, state government, the federal government, the military, whatever you think about in life, it's important that authority always be maintained and respected because where authority is not maintained and respected, there's always division and confusion and anarchy. Here in America, we live in what we call a representative republic. Some people refer to the United States as a democracy. We are really not a democracy. We are a representative republic. And so we have appointed or elected certain individuals to have authority over us. And we put them in office and we've given them authority to make laws and to see that those laws are enacted and enforced once they are enacted. And uh, we're very familiar with a lot of the laws in our nation. Let me illustrate it this way. We have laws that regulate traffic speed and direction. Have you ever gone anywhere where traffic moved at its own will? I've done that. But we have laws in this country. Those in authority have given us laws. When we come to an intersection and it's got a traffic signal, we've got a red light, we respect authority and we come to a stop. And we get upset if somebody drives through that intersection and does not respect authority because we understand that person is a threat to people's lives and property. Uh, I'd hate to live in a country where there were no traffic laws, where they were not enforced. How would you like to drive in that all the time? Uh, back in the mid-70s, I went down to Monterey, Mexico. I was surprised. That was a pretty large city. But when you came to an intersection, it was every person for his own self. And uh, you got through that the best you could. And people tried to be somewhat courteous, but it was worse when I went to Nigeria. Over in, over in Nigeria, you just need, a, you need a, a lot of courage and a good set of brakes is all I can tell you when you get out on the streets because there are no traffic cops, there are no laws. 
It's just everybody moves at his own speed, his own pace, and it's whatever you can get by with without banging into somebody. And the cars are just darting everywhere and pulling out in front of everybody. And I'd, I'd really hate to drive in a, in a place where there are no traffic laws and where authority is not respected. You know, we understand that when it comes to government and military and traffic signals and things, but suddenly when you come over into the realm of religion, there are a lot of people who do not, do not believe that authority is all that important or respect for authority is not important. And when you look at the religious world today, it's divided. There's confusion everywhere. There's division. And it reminds me of the situation there, if you're looking on the back in Judges 21, verse 25, the Bible says that in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That is, everybody was a law to himself. And we read that scripture there in the time of the judges and we say, what was the matter with Israel? Didn't Moses take them to Mount Sinai and get the law and give God's law to them? Why weren't they respecting God's authority and God's laws? But every man, you see, became a, a law to his own eyes. He, was, he did that which was right in his own eyes. And we look at that and maybe get upset, but it's the same thing today. We hear people say today, it doesn't make any difference what you do or practice in religion as long as you're sincere. Ever heard that? Doesn't matter what you believe or teach or practice as long as you're sincere. That's just another way of saying do what's right in your own eyes. And that's the problem now all throughout America. Go into any small community, any town, any city, any place that has a bunch of religious churches and groups, and you'll find different churches in different parts of the city wearing different names, teaching different doctrines, worshiping in different ways, requiring differing plans of salvation. They're not in harmony with each other, and they're not in fellowship with each other, and there is division everywhere. And the problem is they are all following different authorities in religion. Some of them have written their own books. And when you go to certain churches, they've got a, a discipline that gives all of their laws. Others have a catechism and it tells their laws. Some of them have their own creed books and it gives their beliefs and practices. And they follow those books and they, they do not have a common authority. They all claim to believe, to believe and follow the Bible, but they don't. And so the result is division. And one church will say, well, once you're saved, you're always saved. Another one says, no, you can fall from grace. One says that baptism is essential to salvation. Another says, no, it isn't. One says you take communion every month or every quarter, every year. Others say, no, on the first day of the week, you take communion. And on and on, we could talk about differences in doctrine and practice. And the result of all this is just division. And God hates it. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 there with me and verse 10. Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. God says to speak the same thing and have no divisions. Is that what we see today? It's not, is it? And so the result out here is just division everywhere. This morning, I want to talk to you about an infallible source of authority in religion, that if you and I will follow this authority, it will bring us into harmony with each other. It'll give us unity. It'll give us peace. 
if we'll just follow this one source of authority. Now, back in Matthew 21 in the opening scripture, I want you to notice Jesus recognized only two general sources of authority in religion. This is important, just two. He came to the temple teaching, and his enemies were there, and, and they heard him, and they asked him a question. By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Now, his enemies didn't care. They didn't care about the answer to that question. They knew his authority came from God, but they didn't care. And Jesus knew they didn't, and so he said, all right, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you'll answer my question, I'll answer yours. I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Here was the question he asked them. The baptism of John, which was it? From heaven or of men? Now they didn't like that question, so they, they kind of huddled up and they began to reason with themselves and they say, now, if we say John's baptism is from heaven, he's going to say unto us, why did you not believe him? If we say it's of men, we fear these people out here because they hold John to be a prophet. You see, if it came from heaven, they should have obeyed it, but they had rejected John's baptism. And if it came from men, they didn't want to offend the people out here because the people knew that John the Baptist was a prophet and got his message and his baptism from God. And so they looked at Jesus and they said, we cannot tell. And what they really meant was, we don't want to tell. You've got us trapped. If we say it's from heaven, you're going to tell us we should have been baptized. If we say it's of men... These people are going to get mad at us because they know it's from heaven. And so they just said, well, we can't tell, as if they just couldn't, couldn't make that determination. Jesus saw their dishonesty, and he said to them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. If they wouldn't answer his question, then he had no, no need to answer theirs. They didn't care. But in spite of their reluctance to answer, the, the source of John's baptism was obvious. Look at John 1. And verse 6, the Bible says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Who sent John the Baptist? God did. His baptism was from heaven, wasn't it? In Luke 7, verse 29 and 30, the Bible says that all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. So those who rejected John's baptism were said to reject the counsel of God against themselves. John's baptism was from heaven. But listen, what if John's baptism had not been from heaven? What's the only other source Jesus gave for its origin? It would be of men. And listen, that's true of everything in religion. Now listen to me just a minute. Every doctrine is either from heaven or of men today. Every religious doctrine, it is. Every church is either from heaven or of men. Every act of worship we offer God is from heaven or it's of men. Every plan of salvation that people obey in order to be forgiven of sins is either from heaven or it's of men. And if I were to ask you today, is your religion from heaven or of men? You might say, well, Pat, how, how do we know when something's from heaven? I hope my religion's from heaven, but how do we know that? Let's talk about that a little while. How do we know when something comes from heaven? Because we're not interested, I hope, in following men in our religion. But we want heaven's authority for what we do. How do we know when something is from heaven? Number one, it will first of all originate with God the Father. 
In James 1 and 17, James says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of His own will begat He us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. So every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes from God. And, and this God of heaven has revealed His truth to us. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Somebody might watch that door where we might open it in a minute. Uh, notice, notice this passage. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Alright, so in time past, if you'll notice, God spake unto the fathers back here by the prophets. Had you and I lived under the Old Testament age, and had we heard one of the prophets speak in the name of the Lord, like Moses or someone like that, that would have been the same as if God were speaking. Because God spoke unto the fathers back there by the prophets. Let's say that Moses spoke to us and gave a, Thus saith the Lord, and delivered something. When we followed what Moses said, we would have heaven's authority for what we did. But if we rejected Moses, then we would be rejecting God because God spoke by the prophets. And these, these prophets back there didn't make their message up. Uh, look at 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. Peter said, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Where did those prophets get their message? God selected holy men back there, holy men of God, and through the Holy Spirit He revealed unto them the words that He wanted to speak to the people, or the words written. And holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They did not originate their message. It came from God, see. And when you heard that prophet, you had heaven's authority for what you did. And when you rejected him, you were following men. It's that simple. Now God has always been very particular about His Word. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, down here in the bottom left, underneath the cross, on the left side of the cross, there on the front, you'll see Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2, some words underlined there. When Moses gave Israel the law, here's what he told them. Now watch this. And think about what happens today in religion. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. When Moses gave them the law, he said, Don't add anything to this law, to these words, and don't take anything away from it. Interesting, isn't it? Now think of all the differences in the churches today and the different doctrines that are taught. And ask yourself, is somebody adding to the Word today? Look at Proverbs 30 and verse 6 down below it. The Bible says, Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And don't add to his words. In the New Testament, Revelation 22, verse 18 and 19, they're on the right side of the cross. Notice, the, the, notice these verses. And by the way, this is about five verses from the end of the New Testament. Five verses away from the very end 
Here's the last warning God gave you and I about adding to His Word and taking from it. John writes, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. God says, don't add to my word, don't take anything from it. Now would you think about religion today? You hear, once saved, always saved, or no, you can fall from grace. Who's right on this? Who's adding to God's Word? You've heard baptism's not essential. Baptism is essential. Which one's right? How do we know? Uh, communion should be taken every Sunday. No, every quarter, every month. Who's right? What I'm trying to get us to see is there's all kinds of doctrines out here, and somebody's not following God. If they were all following God, they'd all be speaking alike, wouldn't they? They would have God's Word for what they said. But the fact that there's different doctrines out here and different practices tells us that somebody's not following heaven. Anything from heaven originates with God the Father. Now in the Old Testament age it came down through the prophets, but look at Hebrews 1 and 2. We're told that in these last days God has spoken unto us by His Son, by Jesus. Anything that is from heaven today will originate with God the Father still, but it comes down to you and I through God's Son, Jesus. And if you want to know if you have heaven's authority for what you're doing, then the words that, that you're following must come from Christ. Okay? And that fits what Jesus said. Matthew 28 and 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power, that is all authority, is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Who gave Christ this authority? His Father did, didn't He? In John 12, verse 48 and 49, Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now look at verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. Everything Jesus taught when He was here on the earth, He got from His Father. The Father that sent me, He gave me. He gave me the whatsoever things that I should say and speak. And that's what Jesus did. In Acts 3 and verse 22 and 23, the Bible teaches it's fatal not to follow Jesus and what He says. And, and Jesus is, is a prophet that is like uh, Moses. Moses spoke of Christ, and Peter quotes it here in Acts 3, verse 22. He quotes Moses out of the book of Deuteronomy about Jesus. And he said, Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So if we don't hear Jesus, we'll be destroyed, won't we? That's what, that's what the Scripture says. Now, if God gave Jesus these words, and He did, where are the words that God gave to Christ? Jesus is not here on earth. Where are those words? Because those words are Heaven's authority. Where are they? 
we're asking the question, how do we know when something's from heaven? It starts with God the Father and comes through us through Christ. Where are the words then that, that God gave Christ since Jesus is not here? Well, He took those words His Father gave Him, and through the Holy Spirit He gave them to His apostles and prophets there in the first century. Let's notice some Scripture. John 14, 26. This is the night before Jesus died. <clears throat> Christ said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. Look at that statement just a minute. Christ said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's not only going to teach you all things, he's going to bring everything to your remembrance that I ever said unto you. If you'd think about that for a minute, think about how many sermons the apostles heard Jesus preach. They heard him preach from the bowels of ships, from mountainsides. They heard him in the temple, in synagogues, in houses, as they walked along the roads together. They heard dozens and dozens of sermons by Jesus. And those were words that his father gave him. How would they remember all that? The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. In other words, the Spirit's going to cause you to remember everything I ever taught you. So those words that Jesus got from his Father, you see, were brought to the minds again of the apostles when he taught them. And they were caused to remember everything. But the Lord still wasn't able to give them everything He wanted them to have. And so look at John 16, verse 12 with me. Because Christ had other revelations that He wanted to give to the apostles. John 16, verse 12. Let me catch this New Testament, Chris. Jesus said, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. The Lord had a lot of things to say to the apostles, but He said, you can't bear them now. But when the Spirit's come, He's going to guide you into all truth. And so when you read Acts and Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and so on, all the way on through Revelation. You're getting these many other things Jesus wanted to say that the disciples couldn't bear right then. But the Holy Spirit came and guided them into all the truth. And so, the words that Christ got from His Father, He took those words and by the Holy Spirit He gave them to the apostles and prophets there in the first century. And in Matthew 10 and 40, Jesus told the twelve, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When we receive what the apostles wrote, we're receiving Jesus. And when we receive Jesus, we're receiving the Father that sent him. So if we want heaven's authority, heaven's authority starts with God the Father, comes down through Jesus. And now we find it in the words of the apostles and prophets. But we don't have apostles and prophets on the earth today, do we? Then where are the words that Jesus gave them? Where are the words that Jesus gave to the apostles and prophets? 
that same Holy Spirit that revealed it unto them caused them to write it down in the pages of your New Testament. And this is heaven speaking to us today, right here in this book. These are the words that God gave Jesus, that Jesus gave the apostles, and that the apostles wrote down in the New Testament. Let's notice some scripture in Ephesians 3 and verse 1 to 5. Paul is sitting in a Roman prison. He calls himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and here's what he said. He said, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to youward, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not revealed unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. There it is. So Paul said, by revelation, Christ made known to him the mystery. He said, I wrote this in few words, and when you read, you can understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So those words that Christ gave the apostles and prophets, they wrote down in the New Testament. Look at 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37. Paul said, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. See it? Paul said, What I'm writing to you are the commandments of the Lord. They're commandments of Jesus. So when you read something that Paul wrote in the New Testament, you're reading the commandments of who? Jesus. Jesus. There are a lot of people that say, well, Paul said that. Jesus didn't. No, 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 no. No, whatever Paul said is what Jesus did say. Paul said, what I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. We have a lot of people today that have uh, lead redder, uh, red letter editions of the New Testament. I do too. And the red letters tell us that these are the words Jesus spoke when He was here on earth. And the black letters are what the apostles and others wrote down. And some will say, well, I, I don't mind following those red letters. That's Jesus. But these black ones, that's just Paul. And they're so mistaken on that. Paul said that what I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. He is writing what Jesus said. You see what I'm telling you? Look at your chart again. Anything from heaven originates with God the Father, comes down through Jesus, who gave those words to His apostles and prophets, and now they've written it in the New Testament. And in Jude verse 3, read with me. Jude writes, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Jude tells us we are to earnestly contend for this faith, this New Testament faith that was once delivered to the saints. He did not say you are to be contentious. He did not tell us to be argumentative and contentious and mean-spirited, but He did say you are to contend for these things. You are to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now let me go over this briefly right quickly. We raise the question, how do we know when something is from heaven? It will originate with God come to us through Jesus. 
it will be given to the apostles and prophets, and they will have written it down on the pages of the New Testament. So when you're sitting at home, and in the quiet of your home there, you open up your New Testament and you begin reading. That's the same as if Christ or, or the Father were standing right there speaking to you. That's Heaven's authority. And when we follow what's written in this book, we have the authority of Heaven. And when we deviate from the Scriptures, we're following men. And the reason I wanted to make this study with you today as we start this new church, we want to make sure that what we do here in this congregation comes from Heaven and not from men. We're not interested in following men in our religion. And if we're going to follow what comes from Heaven, we're going to have to be people of the book. So we're going to have to know this book, and we're going to have to follow this book, respect this book, appreciate that it is God speaking to us, and that when we follow it, we have Heaven's authority for what we do. And when we deviate from this book, then we begin to follow men in those practices. As we set up this congregation, as we worship, as we teach, we want to be very careful that we do our very best to follow what's written in these Scriptures. We're not interested in a creed book, or a church discipline, or a manual, or a confession of faith, or any such, such thing as that, just following the New Testament Scriptures. Because when we do that, we'll have Heaven's authority. Now, unfortunately today, a lot of people will not follow the New Testament. They follow men. And for just a minute, let me, let me talk to you about the authority of men for just a minute. There are some people, when you talk to them about their religion, they'll say, well, uh, you might ask them, well, why do you believe and practice what you do? Or why do you attend church here? And they'll say, well, this is what my parents believed. This is what my forefathers did. This is what grandpa, grandma taught. This is what dad or mother taught. And they, they follow their parents in religion. And the problem with this is, our parents are not infallible sources of authority in religion. They're just not. No set of parents are. If parents were an infallible source of authority, everybody's parents would be right. And that means everybody would be alike. But they aren't, are they? And sometimes when you follow your parents, you're, you're following the wrong thing in religion. In Galatians 1, verse 13 and 14. This is what Paul did. He followed his forefathers in religion. He tells the Galatians, he said, For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Paul said, I was zealous for the traditions of, his, of my fathers. And what did he do? He persecuted the church and wasted it. By following his parents' religion, he tore up the Lord's church and became a great persecutor of the church. You see, his parents were not an infallible source of authority. The Lord is. And so, we ought to honor our father and mother. We ought to respect them. But they are not due to be considered an infallible source of authority in religion. I'm sorry, Jesus is that authority. Would you read Matthew 10 with me, verse 34 to 39? Very important words right here. Listen to this. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. 
For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Listen, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, but he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus says, you got to love me more than your father and mother, more than your son or daughter, more than your mother-in-law or your daughter-in-law, more than anyone else on earth. You've got to love me. And in religion, when we find a doctrine comes into conflict with a family member, always go with the Bible. It doesn't mean you don't love your father, mother, son, daughter, or whoever it is. It means you love Jesus more. And you follow Him. Because He's got, he's got to have that allegiance from us. And I'm sorry, but if our parents differ from what the Bible says, we've got to reject our parents. And a lot of people follow their parents in religion, and we just can't do that. Not in please Christ. And the Lord knew that He would cause a problem in families. He said, I didn't come to send peace on earth. I came to set a man at variance against his father, and the mother against her daughter, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And if you love some or son or daughter, he said, more than me, you're not worthy of me, or father or mother. See? And so we need to follow the New Testament. Our parents are not a safe guide. There are a lot of people today that got up and went to church somewhere because that's where mom and dad goes. They never thought about, is that church following the New Testament? Does it follow Jesus? Is its worship scriptural? Are its doctrines scriptural? Is its practices scriptural? They just blindly get up and go to church thinking that that's okay because that's what mom and dad did. And that's a very dangerous thing to do, and we don't want to do that. There are others that say, well, when you ask them about their religion, they'll say, well, I just kind of follow my conscience. And if it doesn't bother my conscience, why, you know, I go ahead and do that. Well, a conscience is wonderful, and the Bible talks about having a good conscience. We're to maintain a good conscience before God and men, but a conscience is not a guide in religion. What the conscience is, conscience is part of our mind, and what the conscience does is this. It approves our words and actions when we say and do what we believe, and the conscience condemns our words and actions when we say or do contrary to what we believe, see, what we've been taught. The conscience like, is, is like an alarm system. It, it goes off when we violate it. It commends us when we do right. It's just there in our mind to protect us like that, but it's, it's not a source of religion. Paul followed his conscience in religion when he was wrong. Look at Acts 23 and 1. The Bible says, Then Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Now that included the time that he tore the church up. He said he lived in good conscience before God. In Acts 26 and 9, listen to Paul here. He said, I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing also I did in Jerusalem. And if I could quote the rest here for a minute, he said, which things I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints 
did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them off in every synagogue, and compelled them to, believe, to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Paul said, I tore the church up. I punished Christians in synagogues. I compelled them even to blaspheme the name of Jesus. And when they were killed and put to death, I gave my voice against them. Paul was a murderer of Christians. And yet all the time he did that, folks, he had a good conscience. Because he had been taught that Christianity was wrong. And whatever Jew practiced that ought to be put to death or punished. See? And that's what he did. But he followed his conscience and it didn't bother him a bit. A conscience is like a good watch. You know, you can have a, you can have a great watch. You can have the world's best timepiece if you want it. Maybe it keeps perfect time, never loses a second. But if you set this watch wrong, it'll always be wrong, even though it functions good. When you set the conscience by the wrong standard and not by God's Word, your conscience may function good, but it'll always be wrong because it's set wrong. The conscience has got to be set by the New Testament Scriptures, and then it will approve us when we do what's right and truly condemn us when we do what's wrong. But don't try to follow your conscience if it's not set by the New Testament Scriptures. Number three, there are some people that when you ask them about their religion, they'll say, well, I just follow my preacher. Whatever my preacher says, why, that's what I do. And sometimes when you ask them a question, I think I'll just leave that off. Put that on later. Sometimes when you ask them a question, they'll say, well, I don't know. Let me ask my preacher. Well, the problem with asking a preacher, and that includes this preacher, preachers are not infallible. We don't know it all. We don't have an understanding of everything. It's okay to get an opinion from somebody, but any preacher needs to be checked by the New Testament, including this one. And any man that don't like you checking what he says is a man you don't want to listen to because he's got a problem. We're, we're commanded to check preachers. First Peter, or excuse me, First John 4 and 1. John said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We're told to try the spirits. Try these preachers. How do we try them? By the New Testament. In First Peter 4, 11, Peter said, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So any preacher then is not an infallible source of authority in religion, only as he speaks the New Testament, only as our conscience is set by the New Testament, only as our parents follow the New Testament, can we even afford to listen to them. They are not infallible on their own. And that leaves one final thing now I want to mention to you, and that's feelings. You talk to a lot of people about their religion and ask them, why do you do this or that? Why do you practice this way or that? And they say, well, if it feels good, I just do it. I get such a good feeling, they'll say, out of doing this or that. And the problem is that feelings are not safe to follow. Feelings are, are emotions. And our emotions are like ocean tides. They ebb and flow. At, at some points in time, we're happy and high on the mountaintop, and the next moment the bottom falls out, and then we've got sorrow. 
our feelings just fluctuate. And feelings, feelings are produced, if you will, by faith. They're produced by what you believe. Your feelings are produced by what you believe. I want you to remember this. And uh, in order to illustrate it, I want to give you a story from Genesis chapters 37 to 50, the story of Joseph for just a minute. Y'all all remember the story of Joseph. He, uh, he was one of, of uh, 12 children of Jacob, 12 sons. And Jacob favored Joseph, loved him more than the others, something a parent ought to never do. He favored one child over the, over the others, and he favored Joseph. Joseph was the, was the firstborn son of Rachel. Remember, Jacob had, uh, had two wives there. He had Leah and he had Rachel, but he really loved Rachel. And Joseph was her firstborn. And uh, he just especially loved Joseph. And he made him a coat of many colors. And Joseph had dreams that indicated his father and mother and his brothers would be brought to bow down to him sometime. And, and they just hated him even more for that. One day the boys were keeping their father's flocks and Jacob sent Joseph to check on them. When they saw him coming, they said, here comes that dreamer. Let's get rid of this guy. They put him in a pit at first. They decided they were going to kill him and finally they put him over in a pit to just kind of keep him captive. And then a caravan of Midianites happened to come passing by and they sold Joseph into slavery. They took his coat off. They tore it. They dipped it in, in goat blood. And they took that torn bloody coat back to Jacob and they said, Father, we found this coat. We found this bloody coat. Is this your son's coat? Is this, is this Joseph's coat? And he looked at it and he said, it is my son's coat. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph, my son, is dead. Was Joseph dead? No. No, he was alive and on the way to Egypt. And Jacob said when he saw that coat that my son is dead, he said, I'll go down into my grave unto my son mourning for him. And so he was sad and sorrowful and he wept over this boy as if he were dead. Was the boy dead? No. See, his feelings of sadness were produced by what he believed. What did he believe? He believed the boy was dead. Why did he believe he was dead? He saw the bloody coat. And seeing the bloody coat and believing his boy was dead produced feelings of sadness. Do you see how our feelings are produced by what we believe? When he believed bad news, he wept as if the boy were dead and the boy wasn't even dead. You see, you can get the same feelings uh, from believing a lie as you can from believing the truth. The boy was not dead. But Jacob could not have been any more sad if the boy had really been dead. Now, let's go down the road around 20 years. Joseph has become governor of Egypt. The famine strikes the land of Canaan and Jacob hears that you can buy corn down in Egypt. He sends some of his boys down to Egypt to buy grain, but you had to buy it from Joseph. Joseph recognized them. They didn't recognize him. And he reveals himself to his brothers finally and, and uh, tells them that uh, that God meant this for good for everybody, even though they did it for evil. And he asked his, his brothers to move their families all down into Egypt and let him take care of them down there. So they went back to the land of Canaan. He sent wagons. 
And let's notice this. Uh, they come to Jacob and they tell him, Joseph is alive and he's governor over Egypt. The boy's alive. Well, Jacob didn't believe that. All the words spoken about Joseph brought up all the old sadness of the past. But the Bible says when he saw the wagons, when he saw the wagons, that's when he believed. And that's when his feelings changed. And he said when he saw the wagons, Joseph is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. And now Jacob is very happy. Because why? He believes that his boy is alive. And what caused him to believe that? He saw the wagons that Joseph had sent. And now he believes. Do you see how his feelings now are produced by what he believes again? He's happy because he believes the boy is alive. Feelings are produced by what you believe. And we wonder a lot of times people will say, well, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm forgiven of my sins. And you ask them the question, well, how do you know you're saved? They'll say, well, I got such a good feeling. I feel so good. I remember the time I did this or that and I felt good. They didn't say, I'm saved because I did what the Bible says to do. They say, I'm saved because I think I got a good feeling. And what I'm trying to show us is that feelings can be deceptive. We can believe a lie and get the same feelings as if we're believing the truth. Years ago, I set out to be saved. I was a young boy. And the church that I attended had a prayer altar up in the front. And they told us, if you'll come down and pray, you can be saved. And I went down to that altar and I kneeled down. And other people in that church kneeled down around me and we all prayed. And I got up from that altar thinking I was saved and I had a very good feeling. I went home and told mother about it. I can remember praying at night and feeling real good about salvation. I got the best feeling down there at that altar. Years later, I began to study the Bible. When I studied the Bible, I read where Jesus told me I needed to be baptized. Where He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And I saw that I didn't do what Jesus said, so I went and obeyed the Lord in baptism. You know what I got when I obeyed in baptism? The same feelings I got at the prayer altar years ago. I got the same feelings because feelings are produced by what you believed. At the prayer altar, I, altar, I thought I, I believed I was saved. I had good feelings. At the point of baptism later, I got the same feelings. But you see, later my feelings were based on the New Testament, not on what some church or preacher told me. And the only way to know you're saved is really to make sure you've done what the Bible teaches. That's why we're talking about authority this morning. And what have we said? That anything from heaven originates with God and comes through Jesus, who gave it to the apostles and prophets, who wrote it in the New Testament. And when we follow the New Testament Scriptures, we have heaven's authority for what we do. This congregation, as we start here today, needs to be firmly convinced that we need to follow the New Testament practice in everything we do. And as we start this church today, that's exactly what we're going to do our best to do. We need to be people of the book. We need to know this book and we need to follow this book.
because this is the only way we can please God. And it's the only way we can get to heaven. And there are so many lies out here in religion. In closing, would you look in the bottom left corner on the front at a scripture I want you to remember. Because if we don't love the truth, folks, we're going to believe religious lies. We will. Look at this warning from, the, from Paul here. He said, With all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned or condemned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul says here, because people receive not the love of the truth, that God will send them a strong delusion. The American Standard says God will send them a working of error. I do not believe that God will directly send you a working of error. Here's what I believe. Here's what I think we're reading. If we don't love the truth, God will allow you and I to be worked upon by error to the extent that we'll come to believe lies, and when we believe lies, we'll be condemned. We've got to love the truth. And he said, these people receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for that cause, God sent them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie and be condemned. So we want to love the truth, and the truth is the Scriptures. Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. John 17, 17. Let's love the truth today. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.